Let's stand together for the reading of the word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the word of God. Please be seated. In Matthew's telling of the story, this is the first and last time that these 11 disciples of Jesus get the chance to see their risen Lord. The words that Jesus speaks with them in this moment are incredibly significant and have echoed down through the ages again and again, and for some of us, they have become almost too familiar. For some of us, it's easy to tune them out because we assume that we've heard them already and we know what they mean. But I wanna pause with you for a moment today and look at this, these words of Jesus. What does it mean to make disciples? Notice Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. Though I hope that as you journey with this community, your thinking is challenged and changed in various ways as my thinking has been and will be. Notice that Jesus didn't say, go and make church attendees. Although I'm incredibly glad you're all here today, please keep coming. Invite friends to come. Notice Jesus did not say, go and make church contributors. Though again, we really hope that you become part of this community and give towards the mission of this community in this neighborhood, of this church in this neighborhood. Jesus said, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? This is a very relevant question for me as I have come here specifically in this role of pastor for discipleship and nurture. Jesus said make disciples. So what is a disciple? Well, the word disciple comes from the Latin and it's translating a Greek word here, and in both cases, the Latin word and the Greek word, the source of it is from a verb that simply means to learn, to learn. So we could translate this, where Jesus is saying here, go and make disciples, we could say that Jesus is saying, go and make learners. Jesus did not say, Go and make people who now think they have all the right answers and have lost their ability to question. Jesus said, make learners. Jesus said, make learners. In fact, it's striking to me that as Matthew tells the story in Matthew 28 and verse 17, 
Matthew includes this little piece. He says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Hold up. If it's okay for Matthew to say that out of the 11 disciples that he has just mentioned that are here worshiping Jesus, some doubted. Remember, these are the 11 disciples, the 11 disciples. And here, Matthew points out that some doubted. These are the disciples that have been with Jesus day in and day out. These are the disciples that are seeing him face to face, the resurrected Lord, and Matthew thinks it's important for us to know that some doubted. That means that my doubts, that your doubts, don't disqualify you from being a disciple of Jesus. They received the call to make disciples, to make learners, doubts and all. Having questions did not exclude them from being followers of Jesus. Friends, there was no creed, there was no loyalty statement that they had to sign or subscribe to to be part of Jesus' discipleship group, amen? And this is something I love about our Adventist heritage. From the beginning, we were always against creeds. In fact, if you read our 28 fundamental statements of belief, which by the way, they are descriptive, not prescriptive. Do you know the, catch the difference there? Descriptive, the preamble says that the Bible is our only creed. And these statements describe what we hold as beliefs as a church, and they can change. You see, creeds don't change. But our understandings, our interpretations of scripture can change. And so we as Seventh-day Adventists have always been anti-creeds that you have to sign or loyalty statements. And the reason is because in the mid-1800s when we were learning about Jesus' second coming, guess what? We got kicked out of our churches. We got kicked out. We were learning this thing about Jesus' second coming not being thousands of years from now, but, but just around the corner. We wanted to live our lives oriented to this, and it was very disruptive for our churches, and so we got kicked out. And then when Jesus didn't come, when we believed he was going to come, we went back to our Bibles and we searched, God, what on earth were you doing here and how are you leading us? And we discovered some amazing things about God, some incredible things that I love that God is at work for us in heaven and not against us. That God still longs for us to experience a Sabbath rest. That God doesn't torture people for endless ages in an eternally burning hell. that God cares about all of us and what happens to all of us, including our bodies, that God speaks and still speaks to us today. They learned some incredible, beautiful things about God and they started using the shorthand language for it. They called it, quote, present truth. If you look uh, in, in the, the widest state 
Um, Ellen White, one of the early voices, has written tons and tons and tons of things. And I wrote present truth there in quotes, so we get the whole phrase. And there was 12,000 references to present truth. And I did not read each and every one of them, friends. But what I could tell there is this idea, this, this concept that God is on the move and God is constantly teaching us new truth about who God is and it's a good God that we worship. Present truth is good news. It's good news about who God is. Present truth it seems strange for us to use truth language today. I think we have a harder time with it. When I hear someone say, we have the truth, I kind of pause. And some of that is very helpful. I think we have learned, we have learned that we all come from a perspective. We all have a story, we all have a background. We all see things from where we've come from. And so none of us can step outside of ourselves into the realm of absolute truth that we have and others don't, that we possess. There's something very good about that and very helpful. I think it's made us more empathetic, more able to see from someone else's perspective, more able to hold things in tension. It's a very good thing that friends, when we, when we give up the search for truth, we're on dangerous ground. Giving up the search for truth can be very harmful. In 2016, Oxford Dictionary chose as their word of the year Post-truth, post-truth. They look for words that have been trending over the last 12 months. In 2016, post-truth, and this is their definition. Post-truth, quote, relating to and denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, our age is one in which the one with the most followers gets to say what's true, never mind any facts. Just this last week, we saw social media platforms struggling to know what to do with this and coming to different conclusions. Facebook, defending its right to run political ads even if they have demonstrably false information because of free speech. Never mind, these are paid political ads, may I suggest. Twitter, on the other hand, saying, guess what? We're not gonna run any political ads at all. We're staying completely out of that. I love what one of our early Adventist voices, Ellen White, what she said about this in 1892, 1892, about 30 years after our church was officially organized, she. She wrote these words, quote, there is no excuse for anyone in taking the position that there is no more truth to be revealed. In other words, there's more to learn about God. There is more present truth to be discovered. And she continues, and that all our expositions of scripture are without an error. All our interpretations of scripture are without an error. She goes on, quote, it does not become us. In other words, it's not very attractive for us. It does not become us 
to accept everything claimed to be truth without examining it thoroughly. Friends, can you examine it thoroughly before you like it and you share it on social media? Please? Can we be people that examine thoroughly first? She continues, neither can we afford to reject anything that bears the fruits of the Spirit of God. She's saying, don't, we can't afford to reject it. If God's Spirit is there, if the fruits of the Spirit are there, we cannot afford as a community to reject it. She continues, but we should be teachable, meek and lowly of heart. In other words, we're to be learners, disciples, Jesus continues, what is it that we're learning here? What, what is this all about? Matthew 28, verse 19. Make disciples, make learners, quote, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the only place in Scripture where this, these exact words are used. And I'd like to suggest sometimes that we have used this um, as magical words for baptism. If you don't say these exact words, you're, you're not doing it right. But friends, the, the truth is that I believe if, if, if uh, the, the writers of the Gospels would have wanted us to say it exactly that way, it would have been listed more than one time in the entire scripture. I remember when I was a student here, about 15 years ago now, sitting in these pews and having the opportunity to watch baptisms, it was so striking and blessing to my heart to see Pastor Chris baptize again and again and again. At that time, she was the children's pastor and would be up here, it felt like almost every week, baptizing, and she would say words that were more personal and inclusive. In the name of God, your creator, Jesus, your redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, who is your guide. In this church, in this church, just hearing it in slightly different words, the same trinity in slightly, slightly different language helps us see more of who this God is. Peek to my ears. She's already mentioned the last time that I was on the platform at this church was for my wedding. The last time I was saying vows to my wonderful husband, Michael, the last time I was on the platform at this church. Also that happened at this church and this platform. Uh, I, I had the opportunity um, to work as an intern, ministerial intern with Pastor Devo, who at that time was the youth pastor. Also, on this platform, at this church, I was ordained as an elder, and guess who else was ordained as an elder that day? Vaughn, <laughs> Pastor Vaughn Nelson. <laughs> Both of us together, we graduated together, and so I am, I am thrilled and honored to be following in his footsteps here in this role at this church. So friends, if this is not a formula, if these are not magical words that have to be said in just this way during a baptism, what is the meaning of this, these, this phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? I'd like to suggest that we see this a little bigger, a little broader than simply a formula phrase. What is baptism? The word, to baptize, in Greek the word means to immerse, 
to plunge, to surround. This is why we, we, when we do baptisms, we, we dunk people. I remember sometimes I had people that weren't all the way down and I pushed them down just so nobody, don't get scared. But just, there was a few inches up their side. Just, we want to immerse people. That's, that's why we do uh, the full body baptism. Right? But it means more than that. Immerse, it says immerse in the name of God. Surround. What is the content of what we're learning as disciples, as learners? The content is who God is. It's to be surrounded, immersed in God's name. That God is love. It's to tell a better story. Tell a better story about who God is to be surrounded by God's name. When we're talking about learners, about disciples, and about present truth, this is not simply that something that happens in our heads. Something as I was reading those quotes about present truth, they said it again and again, is that God had chosen to reveal these truths at a time where people were ready to act on them. This is not just head knowledge, this is heart and hands. This is active learning, but Jesus goes on to say in this phrase here, quote, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I had fun this week going back through Matthew, looking at what it is that Jesus commands his disciples, his learners in the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me and I will give you rest. Preach the gospel of God is here now. Heal the sick. Seek God's kingdom first. Let your light so shine. Love your enemies. Be perfect or grow up. And if you missed the message on October 19, you have to go back and listen to Pastor Chris's message on those words. Become a servant, take up your cross and follow me. And that's just to name a few. In other words, Jesus commanded, live out what you've learned about me. Live it out. Because what we've learned about God impacts how we treat people. In 2000, I just graduated from high school at Andrews Academy in Berrien Springs, Michigan. And that year, my family and I decided to drive to Toronto, Canada, where there was a very austere gathering happening of about 50,000 people, Seventh-day Adventists, called the General Conference Session. It happens about every five years. And if you want to go to a city and find veggie hot dogs in every corner, you have to attend. People come together to do the business of the church and experience the culture of the church. And so we were there, my sister and I, my sister is about four and a half years younger than me. She's about 13. We're walking through the booths. Not now. now. (laughs) Thank you. Not now. At that time, I was 18, 17, almost 18. She's 13. We're walking through the booths, teenagers, checking everything out. It was like a sea of booths, ministries from all around the world, so cool. We stopped at one where all the pamphlets were about dress. And the guy in the suit behind the table comes out to us. He looks at my sister, he looks down at her nails, and he says, why are you wearing blue nail polish? Now, I'm trying to scramble in my own head 
to see what I can say on my sister's behalf. She likes it, it's pretty. And before either of us can think of anything to say, he says to my sister, cat got your tongue? And so we pause and we get out of there as quickly as we can, we move on. That Sabbath, our whole family walks to find a place to eat lunch. And it's crowded with Adventists in church clothes. And we, found, we find a picnic spot. We sit down in the park. We're eating our veggie hot dogs. And my sister notices two men coming up about two tables away from us and they sit down. Now we could not have felt more different from these men in that moment. Here we are in our church clothes, eating our veggie hot dogs, and the guys two tables down are in leather, chains, full of tattoos, smoking, and their lunch is a six pack. My sister starts to get nervous that they're gonna come steal our food. So we look around and see what can we give to them, and we had a can of mixed nuts. We figured they wouldn't want our veggie hot dogs. So my sister gingerly takes the nuts up to them and says, would you like a can of mixed nuts? They accept, probably really bewildered. And she goes back. At the end of the meal, one of those guys comes back to our table and he says, thank you so much. And he starts to tell his story. He tells about how he became a member of the Hells Angels motorcycle group. He tells about how he feels lost, and somehow the conversation ends with us all standing around in a circle holding hands and having prayer, and our new friend bowing down like this with tears just running down his face. He told us, my friends call me Cat. Apparently Cat did have my sister's tongue. What does God care about? Is God really so worried about blue nail polish? Is God really so worried about the gender of the person that's gonna share a, this better story? Or is God more worried that we step outside of our comfort zones, that we build bridges and that we heal hearts? Jesus ends with a promise. 28 and verse 20. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. We don't have to figure out on our own how to tell a better story about God. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the truth about who God is and he said he's gonna be with us every single day. Mike and I love being mama and papa to Eleanor, who's gonna be 15 months tomorrow. We've struggled lately getting her to eat enough. Her appetite has not been great. And so the other day at breakfast time, I was offering her everything we had in the fridge. Would you like pancakes? No. Oatmeal? No. Egg? No. Cut up grapes? No. Yogurt? No. Finally, <laughs> She makes this sign, this means more, I heard it, more. She makes this sign, more, and she says, pa, more, pa. 
Now, more papa was not going to help her calorie intake. But isn't it incredible when our children want to spend time with us more than they even want food? Now, from that story, you might have thought that her favorite word is no, but that's not actually true. Her favorite word is up. All day long, whatever we're doing, whether our hands are full or empty, she will come to us and she'll say, up, up. There she goes, I heard her. <laughs> up. Oh, that we would be people that would say, more Jesus, more of you, Jesus. Oh, that our approach to God would be up, up. God, up. Take us into your arms. God, up, raise us to you with all our doubts and questions included. God, up, may we learn more present truth about who you are. God, up, may we go high when others go low. God, up, may we see people and treat them the way you do. May we be people who want more of Jesus. May we be people who want to tell a better story of who God is, and may God be our song. Amen.